Ready? Yep. Let's go. Healthy, healthy rainbow. Beautiful fish. <laughs> you dropped him, dude. Stud <laughs> on the squall, baby. Oh, squall. baby. Bo-tastic. Right there. I got it, I got it too. Oh. He barely puts in the net. But first, a word for our partners. Alaska Rodco, Alaskan Handmade Rods. National Wild Turkey Federation, South Sound Strutters, your conservation organization for Washington State turkey populations and habitats. Heather's Choice, healthy, flavorful, dehydrated meals for the backcountry. Use our discount code, the Young Guides 15 to save at checkout. Shell Art Studio, original Alaskan-focused art. Slay Jays, it ain't all about the catching. Well, Rich, uh, we appreciate that background, and I'm sure we could we could tell stories for days on here. I know you've got a lot of great stories, but uh, <laughs> um, we kind of wanted to touch on some, you know, some some tips and tricks, you know, from your experience personally hunting, from taking people hunting. Last year, you know, we talked to Russ on the podcast and he kind of gave a great overview of how to get started in turkey hunting, you know, where to start looking for birds, gear you might need, a little bit of calling. And we figured we might dig a little bit deeper with you and and ask you a few questions. And to start, uh, the first thing we want to ask is what are some of the common issues that new hunters or maybe somebody who's hunted for a few years and had, you know, minimal success or no success. What are some of those common issues that people have when they first start? To me, probably the biggest one, once they've learned how to use their calls decently is they call too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, the turkey hunting and Russ probably touched on it too, is we're kind of tipping nature backwards in the real world, the Tom gobbles, the hen goes to him, meets up, they do their thing. She goes, starts laying eggs in the woods. <laughs> so what we're doing, we're trying, we're the, the stubborn hen, if you will. Yeah, I hear you, big guy, but I'm not coming to you. You got to come see me type of a thing. So first off, you're doing that backwards. Um, but if a hen continues to answer a gobbler, he'll gobble. And he won't, and generally he'll stay where he's at at least if he's a dominant bird. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the very first bird I ever got to gobble. I learned that lesson. We, brand new turkey hunter, yelp, 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 gobble, 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 yelp, 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 gobble, gobble, gobble. Did that for 45 minutes to an hour. I'd yelp, he'd gobble, I'd yelp, he'd gobble. He was across a little draw, never moved, never, I swear he never moved his feet, just listening to him. So after about an hour, we got impatient, is that well we can just slip up around the head of the draw and sneak in on him on the other side and we'll yelp over there and see where he's at so that took us 20 minutes got over where we thought he was hit the yelper yelp 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 gobble 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 guess where where we just left so when <laughs> he shut up he went down through of course down into the bottom of the ground back up the other side and and turkeys again russ has probably mentioned it as bruce but their eyesight is really good and their hearing is super. And they can basically triangulate you in really quickly with a couple of calls. They know where you're at probably within 10 feet. And so once we shut up, that gobbler decided, uh, where's she going? He went looking. Of course, we went looking the other way and found we were on opposite sides of the canyon again. So I would, my first thing is I tell people is, don't overcall. If you got a bird that answers. So I my calling sequence is I'll yelp, yelp, yelp. And I get a gobble, gobble, you know, a couple of times. And I'll yelp back, couple yelp, yelp to him. And he'll usually gobble and I'll shut up. And, and not make any noise and give him a chance to stew a little bit. And pretty soon you'll get that, you know, gobble, gobble, gobble. Like, are you still there type of a deal? I mean, and you can pick up the different inflection in a, in a gobbler and even in a hand's voice. And if I get that, I'll just give a couple of clucks or maybe scratching the leaves or a cluck and a purr and then shut up again. 
And usually the next time they gobble, if they're coming, they're coming. They're closer to you. And at that point, I may give a cluck and my gun goes up pointed to where I think he's going to come through the brush at. And I'm ready to shoot. <clears throat> I mouth call mostly anymore, which to me is an advantage. I don't have to worry about working a call and then laying it down and getting my gun shouldered and everything. So yeah. overcalling is probably the biggest thing to begin with. And the second deal is patience. Um, being able, and it's tough for people. Um, but being able to sit, I think the longest I ever sat on a gobbler was four hours, kind of a thing, in mm -hmm. western Washington, actually. And he never did show his face. He stood probably 40 yards away right around the corner of a logging road and would gobble, and I could hear him spitting and drumming, but he would never come out in the open, <clears throat> kind of a thing. So, But if you can convince yourself, I guess the rule I use is when I think I've got to get up and move, I give myself 15 more minutes and I do that three more times. So I'll sit for an extra hour. Um, a lot of the times, about the time you stand up that first time, there's a bird there and you just haven't seen him come in and the gig's up. In Washington, especially where we had a lot of merriams and a lot of birds, you got a lot of satellite toms that don't necessarily gobble. You got a, a dominant tom that answers your call. But you might have three or four dom satellite toms in an area. And so when you're doing that, those guys will sneak in quiet. And, and you don't know they're there until you see a head pop up in the brush 20 yards away. So that's don't overcall and, man, sit it out longer than you think you need to. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, can, I can speak from experience. I've done both of those things, and I've been bitten by both of them. Yeah, yeah. How many times did you just stood up and went, oh, crap. Oh, yeah. We gobbler last year, we're working a bird. Well, we'd spooked some birds going into the spot we wanted to hunt. Had some birds close, but couldn't get a shot. Went back to the top of the ridge and sat down and gave it a, a, a couple yelps and nothing. So it went quiet, me and my son. And um, I looked over at him and said, hey, I'm going to give a couple of calls. Kind of said it under my voice and went, yelp, yelp. And this Tom was 10 yards behind us. He'd snuck in behind, and man, he let loose and just about blew you off the tree, you know, and down the hill again, um, kind of a thing. So he'd snuck in, hadn't made a peep. And I'm sure he was standing there on that hill behind us on, we were leaning against a couple of trees, just looking, you know, going, I know she's here someplace. And they do. And um, so keeping your head on a swivel, not moving fast when you do anything, you can communicate with a partner with the low, low tones. You know, if you're waving hands around, you're, you're toast. But you can move slowly, get your gun where you need to do it, um, and, and still and still be successful. It's, it's not that hard to do. But if you're not there when they show up, you're, you don't have a chance. Yeah, for sure. So where should somebody focus more of their time? I know you've talked about the Easterns on the west side. You've talked about the southeast corner northeast corner where should somebody focus a lot of their time uh, if they want to be successful if i was a new hunter i would probably hunt northeastern washington spokane stevens ponderay counties republic um, not republic the ferry county mm -hmm. but that republic area honestly that's probably i mean the, the denser population through there southeast is is rio grands and there's a lot of public ground down there type of a thing they seem to and it's been years since i've hunted them but they seem to like the, the creek bottoms and the fields and the creek bottoms is where you find them a lot of the time on private property and those landowners get hit you know during season probably every day with somebody else wanting to hunt so if you're going to hunt some of those more private places you need to be out there now honestly looking and get permission type of a thing so but um western washington the eastern subspecies there's birds they're little pockets um i would tell people you're probably planning on a two mile hike at least to get back and then you got to find them that's the hard part because they're, they're small pockets of, of birds they're just not everywhere and the folks that are successful on the west side 
they won't tell you. I mean, you mentioned they might have a 10-year run of getting an Eastern over there. But when you ask them, you know, you're killing Easterns, uh, maybe, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> so it's uh, it's pretty secretive yeah. for those guys. So when you're looking to um, find these properties and, and stuff and say like, you're like me, right? I don't have a, a ton of time to drive all the way to Spokane and go out, you know, and look. What's your best advice for scouting prior to going out hunting? Um, get a hold of Fish and Wildlife and their and their conflict specialists. They can often direct you to to a landowner or to an area because they're on the ground all the time. Yeah. It's a good one good way to do it. If I see birds on a property, I'll be honest with you, probably the best time to ask the turkey hen is in the fall. Because the amount of turkey hunters are, are minimized. Everybody's thinking deer and elk, even in eastern Washington. Uh, and the landowners that have turkey problems know it's coming again. I mean, they'll have, some will have 100, 200 birds on a haystack. They can do a lot of damage to a, you know, to a haystack of cattle feed. So if you can find those places, a lot of those landowners will say, you can't hunt deer here, but you can kill every turkey you can shoot. So if you can get in on the fall, you, you can make that lead in the spring hunt. In the fall season, you can take up to two toms. So that's a good way in. Otherwise, it's kind of, like I say, talk to DFW biologists, game wardens, those kind of folks. They almost all of them will have a, an idea where you might be able to go. They won't give you their good spots. And then if I get a, like an address or a property or even talk to a landowner or even sometimes before I do, I'll go on like Onyx or Hunt Stand or one of those and actually look at the aerial photo of, of the property, how it lays and where the, where the openings are in the woods, where the pockets are on the fields, you know, where the south facing slopes are that might hold roost trees. Um, I look at all of that stuff usually before I ever talk to a landowner. So there, some a lot of them look at you funny when you you stop and talk to them, and they say, "Well, yeah, I got birds." And I mean, the place in Cleelum that I hunt, first time I met him, he goes, "Yeah, they roost in those trees right there." And I says, "I bet they land in that opening right there." <laughs> and he looked at me like I'd been on his property for two years. <laughs> that was the thing. So, and but again, it's I've done it enough that I, I know kind of what the birds like. Yeah, yeah. and you know those kind of things, and you get the I. Yeah, if you got another hunter that'll talk to you, and most of the guys are getting the guys and the gals are getting better at it. I mean, we won't give you a spot to hunt, but we'll give you the some knowledge, some help, what to look for, you know, where, where we think birds prefer to move, and that type of thing. Yeah, gotcha. So when I'm on the ground scouting, what should I be looking for? Like, what's some things that you're you're like, oh, this is there's turkey in this area, or Probably the first thing you're going to see is tracks, you know, in, in the mud, in the areas that were muddy, and droppings. Those are probably the first telltales. Um, if you're up in the woods, I always, my head's down way too much probably, but I'm looking for tracks in the soft dirt, the droppings, scratchings where they've been feeding. I mean, you think of that big old turkey foot, you know, that's pterodactyl size. Um, they use those things to scratch up leaf duff and plant material and everything else. And when they get to going, they can make a pretty good, pretty good divot in the ground. Yeah. And you look for kind of that V-shaped divot. Um, I look for wing marks in the road where Tom's been strutting. So for someone who's new at it, when that Tom struts, he drops his wings kind of down and he drags the wingtips. And they do a little kind of figure eight or whatever dance in the dirt. And, and, and they like to use the same area. And you can go to a strut zone, and it looks like someone's been out there with a pencil drawing lines in the dirt, <laughs> going back and forth. Um, and you find one of those, that's a good spot to look at. Um, I look for roosting areas, and, and you can't, I mean, so you look at a tree and go, yeah, they might roost there. Um, but for a new hunter, typically a south-facing, southeasterly facing slope. So they can get that morning sun as it's coming over the, you know, to warm up. 
Um, they typically roost half to two thirds up on those slopes. But we've got a place that we hunt near Kettle Falls and, and the dead giveaway on it is those birds don't usually fly from all the way down on the ground and then up into the tree. They'll get up on the slope and then almost fly straight into the tree. And where they do that, you'll see wing feathers, tail feathers, and almost in a line from where they launch into the trees that they that they roost in. And you, I mean, you can literally stand on the ground and see the litter of leaves, uh, feathers as they go through roost trees. And if it's a good roost, it'll have piles of crap underneath it. I mean, not just a few turds, it'll be a lot. So you find one of those, those are kind of golden. Um, I always tell new people, don't shoot birds on them because you'll chase them off. Set up 60, 70 yards away, figure out where the opening is that they fly down to, fly into in the morning, and then call them that extra 30 yards and take a bird. Gotcha. So should I focus more on having more opportunities on public land, or should I really focus on trying to get access to private land? I would say both. Probably as a new hunter, and most of us, and I'm I'm no different. I really don't like knocking on doors. I honestly, don't I just? And there's a lot of landowners that are happy to see that. I mean, the least they can, they, you know, what can they do? Tell you no. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle Kyle was here last year and he did bad stuff. <laughs> you know, so nobody gets to hunt. You know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I mean, and so it's just a preference. I'm lucky enough that. I've been able to meet a few people and get access to some pretty good private ground. But whether you're, but we started out hunting public ground. We hunted a lot of public ground. So I always figure it, the first year in a new area is if you can kill a bird, you're lucky, but it's learning the ground, you know, looking at the lay of the land, figuring out where the birds use by tracks or whatever. And then watching birds and trying to figure out where they go and what time of day they're going to be at a certain spot. Um, I always figure a new property the first year is kind of just is, is a learning experience. I get lucky probably. I won't say lucky because I've hunted en- enough that I'll go. If I was a turkey, I'd be over there. So I focus, you know, focus my my looking and my scouting in those areas, kind of a thing. So. But that comes with time. I mean, I probably have really been successful in my last 15 years. You know, so half, really half of my turkey hunting career has been what I would say pretty successful. You know, not not bragging or anything about it, but it's but it's known. I've got one piece of property I've hunted for over 20 years. Yeah. It's not big. It's 80 acres. So, you, you know, it's like Oh, I hear them gobbling over there. So they're roosted up on the end of that, of that, that high point. And they're going to use that one trail coming through the brush, kind of a thing. Yeah. Just go set up there where it comes out onto the old logging road. You know, and we've killed twenty birds in that spot. Yeah, yeah. you just get to know it. It's just like you said, it's just getting reps in the woods, basically. Yeah, and they're kind of creatures of habit. I mean, they will do the same thing day after day after day if you don't push them too hard or you know, or, or, or bust up the flock. Um, I'm a good, I'm an advocate of when you shoot a bird, sit down. If it's dead, I mean, if you've hit it good and it's laying on the ground doing the flop, but it's not going to get up, be ready. Um, and there's more birds around. Start yelping because <laughs> turkeys are turkeys. I mean, they're, you know, the old birds of a feather kind of a thing, but there's a dominance amongst those flocks. So if you lay one of the, the more dominant birds down, the, the subordinate birds to him, they're going to come over and kick him around a little bit. They're going to come in and get their shots in, you know, for getting their butt kicked for the last month. And my, I killed two birds probably within 15 seconds of each other last year. That's the first one that came to the call. He dropped down, started doing the flop. I saw he had another one with him. that it kind of ran off. I yelped a couple times. That bird coming right back. I mean, stuck his, didn't quite make it back to his dead buddy. He made his, his mistake of putting his head through a hole in the brush and I popped him, but <laughs> five yards apart laying there. Yeah. And a lot of us want to jump up. 
you know, yeah, let's go jump up and grab your bird. If you got more, more than one Tom, sit tight. Gotcha. So, oh, go ahead, Kyle. I was gonna say, it's it's surprising too. Like even with the gunshot, that they'll come back. I've I've never had that experience with turkeys, but I've had that experience with moose where, oh. if if one goes down, a lot of times, yeah, the other male come back in. Yeah, they're gonna get their shots in. <laughs> I mean, because usually the gobbler, that's the dominant bird in the area. And he's been thumping on everybody else. And so, boy, if he goes down, they're right there, especially if there's somebody with him. You know, he'll he'll be the one that comes in in full strut, and the other one's kind of in a half strut, or kind of just looking around like, like I'm the lookout. You know, you, you drop the big daddy, and first the lookout isn't looking out anymore. He's looking to go kick him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So <clears throat> how does uh how does weather affect your turkey hunting? Like I'm sure I've been in eastern Washington on the river and we just get like a hail storm just in the spring or you know a big big pour down of rain out of nowhere and then it's sunny again. Like what does that do to birds? <laughs> I probably don't hunt a lot in the rain, you know, just because it's uncomfortable for me. If you watch turkeys, if you're driving down long fields and stuff and it's pouring down the rain, half the time the whole flock's out in the middle of the field. They're not hiding back in the trees and in the brush to stay dry. Um, part of their defense mechanism to keep predators off them is listening. So if it's pouring down rain and it's pitter-pattering through the timber and, and they can't see very far, you've taken the two things they, they use to avoid predators away from them. So they'll get out of those dark woods and get out in the open where they can at least see if predators are coming after them. So you'll see turkeys stand out pouring down rain, soaking wet, you know, looking miserable kind of a thing. And I go, you're going, man, I'm glad I'm not sitting out in that stuff. But, but with that, when that, that stuff stops and that sun comes out, especially if they're wet, they're going to get dried off and then they go right back to feed. Um, I like hunting after, after a rainstorm after a snowstorm gotcha and then and, and i know people that are successful during those times yeah what about say uh you know hunting i've hunted birds in the tanway in the spring and um, i know in some places you got to worry about snow levels like how do you do you ever watch snow levels or ever that affects you in any way only if it's deep so turkey's got, you know, a chicken-type foot, obviously, um, that punches through soft snow easily. And they don't like walking in while well, they can't move very good in deep snow, deep soft snow. If there's a crust on the top, they're good to go. Um, but I, so turkey's life is fly down in the spring, maybe get together with the gals, do some breeding, hands head out to lay eggs by the time season starts. And it's, and the rest of their day is looking for girls and eating. I mean, honestly, that's a turkey's <laughs> turkey's mission is to, you know, get something in their stomach. So by the time they get to bed at night, they can sit there and digest all night. Mm -hmm. So, so they're feeding. Um, so, so they're not going to feed on the snow itself because there's nothing there typically, unless you've had a good windstorm and all the pine nuts have come out of the cones. So I, if it's snow, I usually I tell people hunt right up into the snow line. If you got turkeys in the area, they'll be right up at the snow line, sometimes a little bit into the snow, but they're picking all that new growth that comes up. They're scratching underneath the pine trees, kicking the dust so they can get to the bugs, you know, and the seedlings that are coming up and pine nuts that are left over from last year, <clears throat> those kind of things. They're flipping cow pies, honestly picking the, the grain out of them and getting the insects underneath. They they'll follow the they'll follow snow melt right up the hill. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So what's your what's the optimal point of day that you want to hunt turkeys? Like, do you feel like you can hunt them all day? Do you feel like uh, you know, in the morning's better? Do you feel like the evening's better? Midday? Like, what what's your thoughts on that? Um, it's nice to be able to hunt birds off the roost. 
but we all, we all don't get to do that. Um, again, I'm lucky enough. I know properties and I know right where the trees are at every single year. Um, so it's fun to hunt birds off the roost and have them land right in front of you type of a thing. But that, that morning time, at least your dominant toms are with hens. And, and he's not going to leave six hens for one over there in the bushes kind of a thing. So I think it's actually tougher in the morning, at least with the dominant tom. Now, there's a lot of satellite toms in the morning that can't get involved with the, the group over there, and they'll come slipping over to you. So morning hunts are pretty good, can be really good if you've got more than just one tom in the area. Um, those hens will probably, oh, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the morning, they start slipping away. So they're headed to nest sites. And they're going to go lay their egg for the day, kick around, get something to eat, uh, and leave that tom alone. So that mid-morning, 10-ish, 11-ish, 12-ish time, a lot of those toms, they're lonely now. They've been left. They're looking. They're willing to yelp. They'll, they'll gobble back at you. They'll come to see, you know, that hen that eh, sounds like she's interested type of a thing. So mid-morning is good. Um, I would say in the early afternoon, I probably shot as many birds in that time frame as I have in the mornings. Um, evenings, you know, they a lot of them. They're kind of single purpose. They're trying to get food in their bellies and get back to their roost at night before it gets too dark. And probably the, that's probably the hardest time to me. I would I think to to try to get them because they've done all their stuff in the daytime. They've finally got back together early afternoon and it's feeding time, lounging time. And then boy, get to get back to bed and do it all over the next day. Gotcha. So, you know, fly down to two, three o'clock maybe. But yeah. I don't know as I've got a preference because I've shot birds all the time. And the other thing about afternoons Kyle, you know, how many guys, you know, the turkey hunt, go out in the morning, yelp around, can't find nothing, or Tom gobbles and he goes the other way. They're back to camp what time? Noon. You know, seven, noon. Yeah. And they don't go back out. Um, and I'm the first one to go, hey, let's go. <laughs> you know, or don't come in. Take enough stuff and you know, catch a nap against a tree in the sun and wake up, wake up slowly and carefully one eye at a time in case there's a bird standing in your decoys. Exactly. Exactly. So let, let's say um, somebody's later in the season. Um, maybe they're on some really heavily pressured public land. What's the best approach for pressured birds? And I'm probably not a good, good example because I hunt. <laughs> I'm usually done before late in the season. Uh, so pressured birds are just, I mean, they do have a memory. It's not that good, but they will will get call shy. I would say tell somebody in late in the season you're not going to get the gobbles back probably, in, in part because there's a lot of birds gone. But um, but be ready for those sneakers, the quiet guys that sneak in. Um, sit down and call in an area that if you know there's birds in the area, sit down and call and be patient. Call every 15 minutes, a couple of yelps. I always joke that I'm a six yelper. When I make it, whether I'm using a box call, a pot call, or a mouth call, I do six yelps. That's my run. Yelp, 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 yelp. You know, and it's and I don't know why, but that's what it is, I do. A turkey hen will probably run a three to nine typically, and it all depends on the bird. So you know, me doing five and someone else doing five. Or, or me doing six and someone else doing five and someone doing three. It's just, it is what it is. I don't think there's a, a big advantage either way type of a thing. Um, so put a little motion in your calls. You know, don't just yelp, 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 that type of a thing. Um, put some feeling in your turkey call. You know, I'm a hen, I'm looking for some company, but I really don't want to go to you. But I'm good looking and come on over kind of thing. You ought to see my red legs, you know, <laughs> um, but so it's, 
And I think too many callers just, you know, yep, 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 yep. And don't, you know, versus yep, 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 putting a little more feeling into it. Yeah. Um, you know, every turkey's different. We all got different voices. You know, there's not as very many human beings that all sound exactly the same. I guarantee you turkeys don't. Um, I think I joked earlier that the, the worst turkey call I ever heard in the woods was three jakes. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we were calling in a big tom in a spot that we've killed a lot of birds on. And he gobbled and I yelled back and he gobbled back and you could tell he was coming. And I started hearing this God awful sounding yelp down below us. And it's private property. And I know there's no permission on it. And I'm thinking, you know, I told my nephew, I said, there's not supposed to be anybody down there. I said, but that guy is really bad on a call. Well, there's Tom, we could see him coming from up above. And there's a little opening down below. And, and these three Toms come across that little opening, walking across yelping. And they were the sickest sounding birds I'd ever heard in my life. I mean, and I'm even a person who does, you know, who's choking on a mouth call for the first time sounds bad. Wow. Just watch them die. And, and that Tom made a big loop around those birds and then came up and died. But um, So I tell people, man, you can make a mistake. You don't, yeah. you don't have to be, you know, a grand national calling championship caliber to call in birds. Yeah. yeah gotcha. That's awesome. So we talked, we covered a lot about, you know, turkey hunting and kind of, you know, how to ask permission, all of that stuff. Um, why in your words, is it important that we do conservation and, uh, and habitat restoration in Washington state for the turkey? So I look at turkey habitat work and conservation. I mean, first off, conservation is taking what you got, trying to improve it and still using it you know, taking the extra that we do there as hunters and stuff. But to me, the habitat work we've done with turkey habitat, if you look at where we're working and what we're doing, typically it doesn't just benefit the wild turkey. I mean, it <coughs> habitat work in this state, and, and it goes for most species. Yeah, you might be zeroing in on stuff that's good for turkeys, but that's also good for grouse and might be good for deer or elk or you know, quail or any of those other species or any of the stuff we don't hunt that live in the air. So, you know, especially if you're putting in food crops and, you know, soft mass plants and those type of things, they get used by a ton of different species. So, I, I mean, I don't look at habitat work that we do for turkeys as being a singular species type of thing. It benefits everything. Um, so what is, I mean, it benefits a lot of critters, but it also keeps those birds on the ground. Washington state, we're losing habitat, you know, acres and acres and acres a day. Um, it's getting turned up and we're putting in housing and, you know, shopping malls and concrete, you know, parking areas and all that fun stuff that goes with, with, with population growth. And so you, you end up going to places like Northeastern Washington, Southeastern Washington, you know, the, the east slope of the Cascades to do a lot of people do to do their hunting because if you live in western Washington there's not a lot of really good habitat left unless you get high up in the foothills and mountains and up under the mountains everything down low is, is is being used by people living on it so any little bit of habitat improvement you can do that increases the that the ability of that piece of ground to hold more animals whether it be turkeys or grouse or whatever so if we're going to have something for future generations to, to, to use or to lose, honestly, if we don't improve the habitat we've got and try to conserve what we've got, we're not going to have it in this state. It's just population, you know, unless you want to hunt Mount Rainier or Mount Adams, or, you know, something up high. Um, you're going to be hunting national forests and those type of things. <clears throat> but a lot of the good private ground that we can get to and access isn't going to be there. And then what we have left is going to be overrun with people. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So if someone, I'll go, go for it, Keaton. I was going to say, that's really well said. And I mean, living in Western Washington, one example is uh, 
you know, I, I had this deer spot that we we're going to, I went to it for like two, three years and I came back one year and it was all posted and signs were up and saying, you know, they sold the property so you couldn't access it from there anymore. And it's like, <laughs> you know, how disappointing, but you're exactly right. Like things are just that you could hunt and it's in, that's a year or two turnover, right? Now imagine what a 20 year turnover could look like in some of these spots. Yeah. You know, the other thing that we forget, and I mean, we've got a lot of good hunters out that, that are conscientious and, and, and act like they should in the woods. It only takes one one person, you know, your hunting spot. You know, somebody had gone in there, it sounds like it's private ground, and, you know, and done something stupid. Next year you come back and the landowner goes, no, I'm not letting the people hunt anymore. You know, I know it wasn't you, but let some other guy hunt and the cows got peppered with buckshot or whatever. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's really important that we, that as hunters, we, we need to remember that we're, we're not the owners. We're kind of the guests there, but you need to treat the properties you get access to, especially private property, even public ground, honestly, like it is your own. And like, if you do anything wrong, you're going to lose it because that's what happens. I mean, even public ground, you, you know, as population grows, you might have an area that you could hunt and then suddenly somebody slings a bullet at a new housing development that went in and suddenly the signs are up, you know, safety zone or whatever, no more hunting. So it's, to me, it's, God, it's so important. People just seem to lose their minds sometimes with certain species, but um, the impacts they have on not just their ability to get in the woods, but everybody's ability is huge. Yeah, for sure. So, so red instructor and me coming out too. <laughs> <laughs> so, if somebody wanted to uh, get involved with NWTF and you know work on projects or you know just try to network with people, how can they do that? Right now, we've got two active chapters in the state as all. Well. So, the Yakima chapter, and then the South Puget Sound chapter. Um, so I'm with the Yakima chapter, Russ and Michelle McDonald are in a, basically the state chapter and the two active chapters. We're, we're kind of all one big entity, honestly. Um, we do have, you can get on the web on Facebook. There's a Washington State NWTF page. Uh, the South Sand chapter's got a page. You can go on to the NWTF website, which is just nwtf.org.org. And you can actually ask them a question and they'll fire it to us or a con, you know, can we make a contact? I'm more than willing to talk Turkey with anybody to a fault, honestly. Um, but, and, and Russ is kind of the same way. It's nice because I'm retired so I can kind of respond if I pick up my phone, um, you know, most hours of the day. I don't answer my phone it's because I'm building turkey calls or I'm in the shop doing something else and my phone's laying in the house on the counter somewhere but but we'll get back to people um, I got a guy coming over Friday that I met met at a sports show he's a SC you know Safari Club International guy has done a little bit of turkey hunting met with him Monday to talk how we can work together on habitat projects and stuff that benefit everything um but he's telling me how he's calling and I went and no, no, <laughs> you're doing it all. You know, he's using a gobble tube in the woods and like he's listening when, when you air this, uh, it's nothing bad. I said, well, the first thing you do is get rid of that gobble tube. Don't take that in the woods with you, especially in the spring because what's, what's everybody listening for is gobble, gobble, gobble. It's like, I said, you'll call in a lot of stuff, but it'll be two legged hunters, not turkeys with that. <laughs> As I mean, is a new hunter, doesn't know where to really get started, honestly. And we were going to talk turkey when we had our, our luncheon meeting and we ended up not getting to it. He said, I'd like to get with you, and, you know, and you can show me how to run my calls and that kind of stuff. Kind of like Kyle said I did years ago with him. I do it all the time with people. Said, Bring them over. Five minutes, I'll have you running your calls. He's, he's coming up from Tri-Cities to meet me Friday morning, and we're going to do turkey calls and show them how to run them and i mean and i i'm more than i'm more than happy to do that you know 
time permitting, if it's April, forget it. Yeah. There's more important things to do in April, like call turkey, real turkeys. And, but any time other, you know, else, um, I think you'll find that Lisa Russ and I are pretty open to trying to help people get started, at least give them the basic skills to go out in the woods and have a chance at success. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's, we had a guy at last year's camp, last spring's camp, I should say, that him and his dad live here in the Yakima area. And same deal. He was talking. I said, ah, come by the house. Bring your calls. So it was cold. We sat in the garage. And showed them how to run their calls. Make make the different, you know, the, the yelp, burr, and a cluck. And um, he came up to the first time hunter camp last year. On the way up, we saw some turkeys in some farmer's field in South Stevens County. Went up and knocked on the door. Guy said, yeah, go ahead, hunt. <laughs> he shows up at turkey camp thursday evening he's got about a 21 pound you know 11 inch bearded inch plus bird tom and he <laughs> said just sat down at the end of this this brush roll kind of from where the birds were at like you said and made the calls and this big tom came down <laughs> that's awesome he whacked it it's like god it doesn't always happen like that yeah so, but it, it's it's again it's kind of nice it's like kind of like the award to know that you know, I was able to give that person enough information that they went out and were able to kill a bird first, first shot out of the, out of the box. So it's, and that, that's, you know, I'll, I'll take the trophies and the plaques and stuff, but those stories are a heck of a lot more fun to hear. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask what um, what kind of events are coming up. I know you guys got like a banquet coming up soon, right? So our Yakima banquet is going to be April 8th, which is, a, you know, everybody goes April 8th. It's the day after the youth season ends, day before Easter, I think, um, and a week before the general season. But, well, you know, from living in the Yakima area, we got a ton of conservation organizations and Little League baseball and Pony League baseball and this and that, that that fill our venues up here with a fundraiser just about every week. Mm -hmm. So it was the date we could get. Um, so we'll have that at the Civic Center in SELA again. Um, be nice to have a couple hundred people back in like we were pre-COVID. But you can register for that online. Um, just go on the, the NWTF's. I tell people do nwtf.org backslash events. And it'll pull up an events page, just punch in Washington on the state. And it'll show the events that are coming. So we've got our banquet on the 8th. We have our first time turkey hunter mentored hunt the weekend of 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd. And that'll be up at Newport this year. Um, and, and unfortunately, maybe unfortunately for, the, for, for, for what we're talking about is we opened up that registration Saturday and it was full yesterday. So we got 24, 24 slots for the camp. And then we had another nine up to 30, another 11 alternate spots. So we always get cancellations. You know, I want to do it. And then I can't get, we just had to, they couldn't get Friday off. So that camp honestly is show up Thursday evening to the camp. We've got, there'll be cabins and sleeping accommodations for folks. It's free. We'll feed you for the whole camp. Friday is shotgun patterning, getting familiar with your gun, um, some basic turkey hunting information, gear, guns, how to call, calls, calling, some some mock setup so everybody gets an idea. You're matched up with a one-to-one -one with a mentor. And Friday basically is classroom. After dinner, we'll do a shoot mentors and hunters and to their properties that they're going to hunt to meet their landowners. Maybe get a chance to hunt Friday evening. Saturday, Sunday is, is dedicated to hunt. Awesome. Cool. Cool. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of bodies. We did 30 people last spring. That's a lot of people to try to wrangle around at times and get properties for and, um, and everything. So the, and so that's coming up. I know Russ and Michelle, their banquet isn't till in the fall. Um, over in, on the west side, and that's usually up in Enumclaw. 
is where they do that. But and then we'll do a Jake's Day in June, I believe it is. So that's that's directed at kids. Um, but we're always looking for people to come help. Um, if you're not sure you want to get involved, you know, show up and just spend the day watching. Bring your kids if you're you know if you got kids that kind of thing. It's we don't do a ton of stuff. Even banquets, honestly, are it's like a day and a half of intense, you know, get everything set up, get the banquet done, cleaned up that night, go home. Um, there's a few of us that, in the planning side of it and stuff that, that spend a lot more time. But for most of our volunteers at those events, it's the fundraising stuff. It's it's kind of one intense day. Um, we did a project late, late fall, early winter, really down in the Wind River, down south. Um, south south end of the Cascades in habitat that's black-tailed deer, elk, grouse. There's some turkeys that live by. So we were able to get some money that we could get our hands on and put it into a project on Forest Service land that was, I think it's 238 acres somewhere in that neighborhood that they were rehabbing basically. So we helped pay for the pesticides to spray out the bad weeds. Um, bought some seed for a logging that's going to be done right adjacent to it to, to, to revegetate that. And then on the two, the other piece, we paid for about 2,500 containerized brush species, um, snowberry, choke cherry, those kind of things. And over the course of three weekends between Forest Service staff, NWTF volunteers, um, some master hunter people that came down and helped. We put all those, all those shrubs in the ground, planted them. That's awesome. I mean, I went down the weekend that we did NWTF stuff. wasn't the most fun Saturday I've ever had in my life. It poured rain. Of course, it's considered Western Washington down there. I mean, it poured. We got down in the in the morning and started about noon, and it rained solid till we finished that in that in the evening. But we had, I think, 1,200 plants left to go on the ground. And between the volunteers we had, we, we were done by noon the next day. Yeah. That's cool. It's, it's cool to see those, you know, boots on the ground projects. I mean, you know, that volunteer or contributing, you know, fundraising, you know, that does a lot of good work for turkeys. But it's when you're able to get the boots on the ground and actually be able to do those projects, you get to actually see that in action. So that's super cool to hear. And, that, and and honestly, we do pretty decent at fundraising considering we only got two chapters and stuff. Um, but people want to do the stuff on the ground. And not everybody's available to come and do it. Um, I understand that. And sometimes it's short notice. But the, the yeah, like you say, it's, that's a rewarding piece. Is no one, I mean, the, the place we were planting the shrubs, they'd been in there for two weekends or I think over the course of a month. And the elk had been through, and you'd go into plant shrubs and, you know, go to the next part, and you're going by plants that the elk have pulled out of the ground because <laughs> they're falling on. you got to replant them, you know. So you, you know that stuff's getting used already. Yeah. So skipping back is, is, is a big part of that. And people, I, a lot of our volunteers want to do that. It's just, it's timing. Everyone's busy. That's the hard part, you know, depending on what stage of life you're in and, and your kids are in, honestly. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to kind of touch on one thing that you said is I think people get caught up in like, oh, NWTF is doing this planning, so it must just be for turkeys. And I'm so glad that you covered that. It helps so much more than just the turkeys, right? I mean, I mm -hmm. do, you know, with the, the cleanup and stuff and all that, people are like, oh, you're just cleaning up the river. It's like, well, we're also cleaning up next to the river. And, you know, what uses the river is also deer and wildlife and a bunch of other stuff. So I, I it's just nice to be reminded that it's helping more than one thing. Yeah. And I think we, like you say, people get focused in while you're, you're the turkey people. And yeah. Yeah. That's kind of our focus. But yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're Mule Deer Foundation or Rocky Mountain Elk and Wild Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, you know, Business Forever. It's there's so much more benefit to all the wildlife in the area from a habitat project. Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. 
Well, cool. You know, I know you've helped with the cleanup up there. You know, that's got, what does cleaning up the riverbank have to do with turkeys? Probably nothing. But just the type of folks we are, you're giving back to the, you know, to the, you're improving habitat for, for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot of topics here. <laughs> I mean, from conservation to hunting to mentoring to, uh nwtf just all about it so um we really appreciate that um was there anything else that you you wanted to add towards the end here oh man i don't know <laughs> it's a i can tell you and, and i tell people if you've ever hunted elk especially archery hunted elk in the rut um, and there's a lot of people that have turkey hunt that's turkey hunting in the springtime the nice thing is they've only got two legs and you can carry them out in one load. But, <laughs> but it's, it's a similar type of hunt, honestly, as, as a rut hunting, uh, you know, bull elk or deer in a rutty type of a thing. So, but I tell people when I do seminars is you might not be successful your first two, two, three, four years, whatever it takes. You may have the suicidal turkey run into you. But to me, when that, that first Tom gobbles back to somebody's calls, I just tell them, get the credit card, go down to Fast Pro or wherever you buy your hunting gear. Um, and it's, it's, it's a life, lifelong addiction. And it's, it's, but it's something you can share with family and friends, and, you know, and, and spend your whole life doing. You don't have to be the, the best in shape person, you know, to hike out across the field and get set up in an opening and, and call birds into you. And you don't want to be uncomfortable, but. If you haven't tried it give it a go you may not like it um, we can talk you know how you prepare prepare stuff later on um, my the, the one word i would say is don't overcook people overcook wild turkey gotcha well cool yeah we appreciate it rich really do and you guys god probably need to go to bed but <laughs> well i'm i'm an hour uh behind you Behind. Behind, yep. So Yeah, you just about threw me when I looked at the podcast stuff, the, the Zoom and I went, Six o'clock. He's gotta be after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um well cool. Yeah, we appreciate having you on, Rich. Um, we do like to round out every episode throwing you a few rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little bit more. Um, I give slow answers. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Sure. Uh, all right, so we'll start out, and I kind of have a, an inkling of what the answer to this one's going to be, but what's your favorite thing to hunt? Well, it's just definitely turkeys. Yeah. <clears throat> what's a what's a dream destination to hunt turkeys? Probably for me, it's going to be Florida, which I'm going to this month, and just to go hunt the Osceola, which is the, the Osceola subspecies, the only place it's found in the world is the southern two-thirds of Florida. That'll be a fun trip. I'm excited to hear about it. All right. What is your uh, favorite meal, favorite thing to drink when you're out in the turkey woods? In the turkey woods, it's water. <laughs> and it's usually a can of sardines. Uh, back at camp, probably anything we can cook in a Dutch oven and uh, a, a nice cold glass of a good bourbon. <laughs> That's good. Around, sitting around the, the cribbage table at night. <laughs> what kind of stuff are you listening to before you go hunting do you got any like you got a hype up song or anything no i don't um i'm usually got a column call in my mouth if not one in each cheek that i'm playing with so um, type of a thing cool. i'm a country western listener but there's nothing special <laughs> uh you're headed out the door what's one thing that you can't forget to take with you when you're hunting? I would say probably my calls, but honestly, it's my seat cushion. <clears throat> I like it. Or those long sits in the woods. Yep. Um, you know, to that, it's, I tell people, get a good seat cushion. You know, there's nothing worse than sitting on a cheap pad and you can feel the ants walking on around ground underneath it. 
and you can't sit longer than 10 minutes without having to shift your weight. I mean, I can, I can plug, plug the guy I've used. I've got a seat I've used for 20 years. I've recovered it three times. Awesome. Best one I've ever used. What's, uh, what's something you're superstitious, superstitious about in hunting? Man, I don't know if I've got any big superstitions. I mean, to me, it's, I'm real anal about full camel, you know, not having stuff showing, being quiet and moving slow. I mean, those, I don't know if that's superstitious, but those are the things that kill a hunt. Gotcha. Who is the most unique person you've ever hunted turkeys with? Oh, man. You know, I got to say, it's a, a fella from Alaska that I took down. It was a disabled vet. Mm -hmm. Came down to hunt actually with Russ, but Russ was injured. So I took the hunt for him. A young man named Rashad from up that up in, I believe, out of Anchorage. Or Fairbanks is where he's at. Um, blown up twice in Iraq. Kind of a deal. Still had all his limbs, luckily. Um, but real cool guy. I mean just the experiences he had. Um, it was a real unique, it was a real rewarding experience for me to be able to hunt with him. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, what's something you wish you knew when you first started turkey hunting? Had a call. <laughs> <laughs> patience, honestly. I mean, how to make the calls, but patience probably was the biggest one. Uh, what's the best advice you could give to your younger self? Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't get in a lot of trouble, so I can't go that way. At least I never got caught, maybe. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, it's, that's a tough one. I've, I've been lucky enough to, to spend time in the woods as a youngster, hiking and fishing. Um, got into a type of work that I found I loved in the natural resource field early on in life. You know, and was able to take that all the way through to a full career. And, um, you know, if I had to tell people, find, find what you like and, and pursue it. Um, and I know a lot of people say that, but I mean, I've been lucky to be able to, to work in a job and spend time and, and stuff that's in, in a career that I loved totally. And pick a, if you're a hunter, pick a, pick a, a wife that's a, <laughs> that'll let you go. All right, here's a, you thought the questions were hard. Here's the hardest one. Uh, what's one word to describe yourself? I don't know, passionate is it, maybe? At least when it comes to turkey hunting. And probably in a lot of what I do. Passionate is probably a fairly good word. I've been That's... called a lot of other things, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's perfect. Well, that rounds out the, our rapid fire round. We appreciate that, Rich. But we do have we have one final segment. This is the, the final final thing. Is we want to hear your best turkey hunting story. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's probably the first bird I ever shot. So I'd been like I say we'd been hunting the two cannon for a couple of years. It was my third year down there, and me and a hunting buddy were down in what's called Columbia Center, over at a dry Pataha Creek. We'd hiked up on top of a ridge, crossed a creek and everything. And um, we're yelping and had a bird nearby us answering, but we, well, blew a couple of chances on him. But there was a bird across the canyon the first day. So the second day, same thing. I'm waiting for the Tom to come in. We've got a Tom working, and my buddy is kind of off to one side. And, I mean, I'm waiting for five more yards on this Tom to get a shot and he drops it <laughs> in the morning it's like god dang it <laughs> so in the afternoon i said drop me off over on the other side i'm going to see if i can find that other bird so called for about a half hour nothing moved got to the end of a wheat field just down below it and called and got a gobble right away and had a decoy out and then back then we were using the feather flex foam decoys and we had some hens but we would uh, 
we fixed them up and made them painted their heads to look like Jake's. So I guess we the other way we had Jake's that we painted up to look like Ken. So I borrowed hit one from my buddy. We called him Jake the Fake, and I had it set out there. And this Tom comes off the field, comes down, stretched for the fake hand, and mounted it. He tried to, of course, it fell over. And just like the young lady I talked about earlier that shot the one, when he fell off, he stretched up and I popped him in the head. <laughs> I'm the very first bird, but I, I still remember that. I can see that happening. And it's probably because it's my first bird that, it, that I'd ever got on my own. Yeah. That's awesome. That's rad. I mean, the the be there's better ones. I remember both my kids' first birds, those kind of things too, and they're yeah. probably as, as meaningful as that one. Yeah, that's awesome. But there's a long story with each of those too. <laughs> we'll have to do another episode with you, Rich, just on just on your stories. I know you got a lot of them. Yeah, prompted. I could probably tell some lies too. So <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you got some good game warden stories too. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the worm that wasn't good bait, you know, fish wouldn't eat a worm on a hook. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thirty-one years of that. And there's a there's a few. Probably should have wrote them down when I was thinking about them. <laughs> <laughs> Write a book about it. Yeah, probably forgotten more than I'll ever remember. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Um. I'm going to do a little outro here and uh, we'll call it good. So, guys, I appreciate it. Hopefully, somebody can garner a little bit of knowledge out of, out of all of this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure I, but like I say, hey, you know, I always tell people don't hesitate. Give us a shout. We can help you out. Be happy to do it. Yeah. Cool. Well, awesome. I'm going to round us out here. Um, well, that was another episode of the Young Guides podcast. Uh, we just want to thank uh, Rich Mann for hopping on and uh, chatting with us, talking about turkeys, um, telling us all the stories and, and making us better at outdoorsmen and outdoors women. Um, like you said it, uh, Rich said, if you uh, have any questions, you can always reach out to him or reach out to NWTF. Uh, any of the NWTF people will help you in any way. I mean, they're all just willing to chat they just want to help they want to get people into conservation i mean even if like you don't want to do the hunting aspect but you want to still do the tree plantings and getting outside and all that like you can still do all that get your hands dirty and, and get in so um that was awesome and we just really want to thank you again rich for hopping on with us um we would like to let you know about some upcoming events. Uh, we are going to be putting on a uh, fly tying event at the end of this month. Uh, our previous one that was supposed to be at the beginning of the month, we had to uh, move because of some other things happening. Um, so I'm going to try to move that one to March 31st. Um, we also are going to have, uh, well, they have the banquet April 8th. Um, and then we're going to be doing the Cedar River cleanup on August 12th. You can find that on Eventbrite and sign up now. Um, we hope to see you out there. Um, should be, it's just a cleanup this year, no market. Um, really excited to, to have you coming out. And uh, we've noticed some people on our lives chatting about it. So if you've been talking about it, thanks for, for uh, bringing it up. And I'm excited to meet you. So can't wait to see you there. Um, I just want to also thank uh, our partners, um, Slay Jays, Heather's Choice, um, Alaska Rod Co., um, Shells Art Studios, um, and then just you guys. You know, we want to say a big thank you for uh, for listening, supporting us, and uh, keeping us motivated to keep pushing out this content for you. Um, and we hope that you're liking what you're hearing. Um, you can always leave us a recommendation on our uh on our instagram or you can go to our website and and reach us in the questions tab there so uh, we're just very thankful and uh we can't you know we want to just share our gratitude with you um so if you can leave us a review as well on apple Podcasts or spotify just let us know how we're doing um and if we're doing good doing bad let us know and we want to improve or or you know letting us know that we're doing good so we have in it and actually we we planned out a podcast here coming out i'm not going to tell you the whole story but someone left a review and we got in contact with them so uh, stay tuned for that looking forward to that one
Um, Kyle, anything you wanted to add? Nope, I don't think so. Uh, we got some great guests coming on. Um, timely stuff, you know, we've got Rich on talking now. Um, if you didn't listen to uh, Russ McDonald's podcast last year, um, make sure to listen to that. Russ gave a good intro on his background and then an intro to turkey hunting. And then uh, with Rich, we learned more about Rich. And then he kind of took it a step further. So, you know, turkey season is going to start in a little bit uh, over a month there in Washington. Um, if you're other places in the country, it might be starting a little bit sooner. So to getting ready for turkey season, go ahead and listen to those. Uh, we have some more stuff coming out. Keaton and I have podcast episodes planned out into April now, um, or the end of April, honestly. So got a lot of good stuff coming towards you. Um, I'm going to be at the uh, Spring Shindig for the Alaska Trout Unlimited Banquet on the 23rd of March. It's a Thursday. I believe it's from 6 to 9 p.m. at 49th State Brewing, I think is what it's called is that brewery there i'm gonna be there um i think uh matt's gonna be there i think he's donating a rod uh from alaska rod co and i know um some of the other people that we know and have contacts with up here are gonna be there so uh, if you're gonna be there you know give us a shout if you see me there um come say hi i'll be um super happy to connect with people that's that's the biggest reason i'm going is connect with people that um we've either talked to over the podcast and haven't actually met in person or just uh, some people that listen to the podcast. So super stoked to go to that and, and see you there. Um, besides that, I don't think I really have anything. Um, we appreciate you guys listening as always. And like Eaton said, go hit us up on um, Apple podcast, Spotify, leave a rating and review and uh, make sure to follow along on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I was gonna say fingers crossed. We're hoping that we're hit a thousand followers on Instagram by June, but I know we will, we'll probably hit a thousand followers by the end of, by the end of April. So we just, you know, it's cool to have followers, but it's mainly because we want to reach more people. The more people that we can reach, um, the, the better, the more that we can teach, uh, the more that we can, um, encourage to get outside and make our outdoors a better place. So uh, if you are following along on there, go ahead and check us out. We'd love to, again, extend that reach to more and more people. Yeah. And if you are following us on there, if you don't mind just sharing our account, sharing our posts, uh, tag us in it. We'll put you on our story. Uh, so it's just, it's awesome. And we just, we appreciate you. And, you know, we want more followers, but we appreciate the followers that we got. So don't forget that. So. With that being said, Kyle, I think that was another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. Catch you.